You are listening to the Woman of Faith podcast, hosted by award-winning author and transformation coach, Nancy Ruffin. Whether you're establishing your faith journey or just getting started, the Woman of Faith podcast is passionate about sharing stories of faith that will inspire you to boldly live the life you were created for. If you're ready to elevate your faith and step into who God created you to be, then you're in the right place. So let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Woman of Faith podcast. This is the podcast for the woman who wants to grow in her faith and build a deeper connection with God. So we don't spit anything religious. We are not promoting any specific religion, but instead we are a community of like-minded women who have a desire to get closer to God, to dig deeper into that relationship, um, even to investigate the relationship, right? There might be some of you who are wavering in your faith at this moment, and you're trying to find your way back um, to what that looks like. So if that's you, then you're in the perfect place. Um, Here we are just committed um, to sharing our faith journeys and whether it's through my own personal narrative or through the stories of my guests. The goal is to always show up honestly and transparently um, and provide a platform where we can have these discussions around faith, even in the moments when our faith wavers, even when we're questioning where God is in our life, you know, and that is all that I want um, out of this podcast to just provide that safe space for anyone who is looking for it. So this week we are going to continue part two of my interview with Brenda Aviles. If you missed last week's episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's episode 107, You Won't Break My Soul, part one. Um, And as in every week, we are taking the song titles of popular songs and applying the podcast episode message um, to that song. And so... If you've been sitting under a rock, then you don't know that Beyonce just dropped um, a new single recently in preparation for the new album that's coming July 29th. And You Won't Break My Soul is one of those songs that when I listen to it, um, just reminds me of liberation and how often um, sometimes in order for us to become truly liberated, there's a breaking that has to happen. And so in her song... She's saying that we cannot allow the world and all of its things to break our souls, right? Not to the point where we lose ourselves, where we become overburdened and overwhelmed and just so tired that we lose focus of ourselves. And so last week, um, we talked about the Supreme Court's um, overruling of Roe versus Wade and how that is an absolute, you know, thing that can break our souls if we let it. But we have to remember that God is always in control and this is not anything that we're not familiar with, right? Women have had to fight since the beginning of time for every right that we enjoy, for every privilege. And so while this decision puts us behind, um, it by no means stops the work that we consistently have to do to show up for ourselves, for our daughters, for our nieces, you know, and for future generations, Um, So last week we talked about that. And now this week we're going to talk more about faith. Brenda's going to share what her faith journey has been like, how she has wavered in her relationship with God, how her faith has been tested, and how she even has tested God just to see if he really is who he says he is. 
So if you have ever found yourself in a situation where you're lacking faith, where you've lacked faith, where you've doubted what God was trying to do in your life, maybe you've turned away from God and are trying to find your way back, then I encourage you to listen to this episode. It is full of gems. It is so transparent. It's so honest. Um, But most importantly, it's full of hope. The hope that even in our darkest moments, even um, when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, God is always there. He is always present. And it isn't him who turns away from us, but most oftentimes it is us who turn away from him. So when we when we come back from this break, um, I'll be joined by Brenda and we'll get into part two of our interview, You Won't Break My Soul. You are tuned in to the Woman of Faith podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for listening. But all right, so moving <laughs> Moving forward from this topic, because I want to get to know, I want the women, you know, the, the listeners to really get to know about you and the work that you're doing. Uh, so you are an educator. You have been an educator um, for over what 13 years or longer, more? 20 at this point. <laughs> All right. and, and you spend a, gr- a great majority of your time working for the New York City Department of Education, right? No, actually, I left the New York City Department of Education. Oh. It was so toxic. Well, let's talk about that because I, because I, the, the, I, I want to talk about the BIPOC Teachers Lounge and why that was necessary for you. But I think that we have to kind of talk about the history, you know, and why that the history is very understanding that is necessary to understanding why you created the BIPOC Teachers Lounge. Yeah. Yes. So I left, I left the Board of Ed, the Department of Ed, many, many years ago because I was at a time of crisis and they were not there for me. I was just the body that they needed to produce test results. And my humanity at that point in that, you know, organization was not valued and I left. But I still stayed within education. I stayed initially working as a coach, a teacher's coach. Then I did um, work with publishing companies doing you know, professional development trainings for teachers around curriculum, whether it was reading, writing, and math. But again, they also um, made me choose between my integrity, right? Like they wanted me to basically lie to school districts and teachers. And I was like, no, I can't do that. And I remember going into the office of my manager one time and she said to me, you are not on their side, you know, in terms of teachers, because I was telling them the truth. And so, you know, eventually, you know, I just kept looking and looking and looking. And this last job that I had, we were running an abolitionist fellowship. And one of the things that came out of that fellowship was the need for community and how isolated BIPOC teachers were feeling and how targeted they were feeling and how they just felt like invisible. And they had no place to speak openly about the things that they were experiencing, you know, and they were so common. And so I thought to myself at that point, well, we need a space where we can actually discuss and talk about the issues that we're facing and support each other so that we can continue and not be run out of education because our babies need to see people who look like us, yeah. you know, in front of them. So that was how I got there. A short synopsis of how I got there. And so now, so now you've recently launched um, this year, the BIPOC Teachers Lounge. This is your new baby, right? So what, what have you been doing so far with this? So- I have two babies. This baby I abandoned. So I abandoned the BIPOC Teachers Lounge because of things that I that I was experiencing, which I want to talk about at the BIPOC Teachers Lounge, right? Which is the same thing. It's our people now oppressing us. Our people saying, oh, I'm decolonized. Oh, I'm liberated. But then you're still mimicking white supremacist culture. And now you're hurting people of color. So it's people of color now just it's just a mess and so because I was struggling with that over the last six months and trying to sort of take care of my mental health and figuring out well how am I going to recover what do I do you know how what does it look like to leave in a healthy way I want to then bring that experience back and say listen it, it continues to happen and we continue to need to have really open and honest conversations about what we say we believe and how we act on that belief because you can say that you believe in decolonization. You can say that you believe in abolition, but if you're not acting like it and you're not living it in all areas of your life, then you are out of alignment. 
Yes. So I know that you have recently launched um, some cohorts. Yeah, so my PD Matters is my other baby, which yeah. is just, you know, an opportunity to work with teachers, but willingly, right? Like you're coming to me, you're saying, I want to do this work versus when I go into a school and I'm doing a training and it's imposed and yeah. you have all the people who need the work with their mouths turned sideways because they don't want to be there because they don't need this work because everything is about race and they're so tired of it. So I the just, reality I, is that everything is about race in this country. Really? And that's what annoys me too, because people want to say, well, why does everything have to be about race? Because white people have made everything about race in this country. And I'm just going to say it like it is what it is. It's the truth. But then our people have also made a decision, right? Either I assimilate yes. and aspire to mimic that for the sake of acceptance, or I rebel and pay the price by not getting hired, by being targeted at schools, right? There's always some sort of retaliation. Because why though? Again, it's back to the people that are in the position of power who exactly. are usually white. But what I experienced at my last corporation, this last job that I had was they weren't. And that was so painful that you as a person of color would deny my lived experience or would harm me instead of build me up. And so I wanted to invite teachers to do the work, right? Like, let's get a cohort together. Let's have this conversation and let's talk about what you believe and why. And is it serving you or not? So part of it is an invitation to those teachers who actually want to decolonize their thinking, right? Teachers who maybe were ascribing to assimilation and saying, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Or teachers who need language. Like, I know there's something wrong here, but I don't know what it's called. Right. So let's talk about giving you access to language to empower you so that you can call it out when it's happening so that we can interrupt it. Yeah, so I love that. So how can um, individuals, not just educators, but this might be something that just anyone, anyone that, you know, is looking to kind of decolonize their own mindsets and how they show up in the world, how can they get involved with some of these cohorts? Definitely reach out to me. I have a cohort starting, I want to say the second week in July, July 8th, around there. Um, again, for people who are interested in doing the individual work, this isn't a school-based thing. This is I individually want to talk about decolonize or I want to talk about, you know, white supremacist culture and how I have adopted it and now need to sort of divest from that. Uh, right now, the best way to get me is through DM BK Bren on Instagram or the BIPOC Teachers Lounge on Instagram. You know, just shoot me a DM. Tomorrow, I'm going to put out the flyer that I had shared with you, Nancy. I'm going to put out the flyer inviting folks if they want to come in and be a part of this work. And what I like about the cohort work is that it's small and it's intimate. Yeah. You know, it gives you an opportunity to ask those questions that you're not comfortable asking in public sometimes because you get criticized or demonized for asking something that you you may not know enough about yeah and so yeah just just reach out to me on social media and we'll we'll get you connected and started up the the cohorts are about six weeks long you know short sweet and to the point it's kind of like a primer and we meet once a week and I offer you you know one-on-one -on -one coaching two one-on-one -on -one sessions as well as Q&A I love that. And I, I am a huge advocate of the cohorts um, because they're small and intimate, but they also allow um, for the conversation amongst participants, right? Where you see that you're not the only one having that experience. Like so often, you know, we think, oh, I'm the only one going through this. But when you're in a space like that, you get to see that you're not alone, that there's a lot more of you that are experiencing the same thing. And that's why I also started the BIPOC Teachers Lounge, because when we were doing the fellowship, the teachers had that realization. They were like, oh, my gosh, thank goodness I'm not the only one. Oh, did that really happen to you? Can we talk about it or can we share resources? Which is also something else that's also very empowering is the building of that community where you then support each other as you take the next step. Right, because it's taking the next step that's hard, especially if you think you have to take it alone. But when you do it in community. It's just that much easier. It is. All right. So you guys heard if you're interested in doing some of this decolonization work, um, you may not even realize that you're, <laughs> that you're colonized. You might think that you're woke, but you're really asleep. Yes. So, uh, yes. you know, reach out to Brenda. She does incredible, incredible work. She it has a fierce mind and she's one of the people that I personally love uh, to talk to and have conversation with because she often 
just challenges me with my thinking and, and um, allows me to see things in a different perspective. Um, and I think that that's really, you know, what we should all be striving for, like, you know, having, having relationships with individuals that help to challenge our thinking, you know, of what we believe or we thought we believed and allowing just the opportunity to see something new. Um, so moving forward, I want to talk to you now about uh, being a woman of faith, right? That's the Women of Faith podcast. Um, Brenda has been a part of um, mine and Teresa's weekly Bible study cohort, the Women of Faith Bible study for, I think, the majority of it. You've kind of been with us since the beginning last year. And, um, you know, there's this inside joke, you know, within the cohort, Brenda calls herself Peter, right, after the, the disciple, uh, because she says that she's always like in constant conflict <laughs> with, like, with her, her faith and with Jesus. And, you know, so I want to talk to you about that, because I think that it's a, a very real place for so many of us who find ourselves, you know, in conflict with our belief with what faith tells us. Um, so first I want to ask you, what, do, what does being a woman of faith mean to you? Oh, it's a woman who's grounded in God. Mm. Right. And I think, you know, I always think, I think it's, is it James 4, 4 who says, you know, you come near to me, I come near to you, something around, uh, Right. And so I think that being a woman of faith is being grounded in knowing that it is my proximity to him. Right. That frees me. That sustains me. Let's talk a little bit about your faith journey. Let's, right? Like, why do you identify so much with Peter? <laughs> Okay, this is going to be really hard, but as you know, I say the hard things, I say the unpopular things. I, I love that, yes. So, you know, Peter is interesting because uh, Jesus said to him, right, you're gonna deny me three times. He was like, nah, nah, never. Like, nah, I got you, like you my dude, right? And of course the time came and he was like, I don't know, I don't know him, I don't know him. And he was shocked, right? Like, oh my God, I did, right? I gave into my humanity. And I feel like that's been me throughout the course of my life with God, right? Like, yes, I believe, but I'm embarrassed about it. Mm. Yes, I believe, but I don't want to be open about it. Yes, I believe, but, you know, I don't behave like a Christian. And so I don't want to take that label on. All right. So before we go, you, before we continue, because you say you're, you know, you're, you believe, but you're embarrassed. You believe, but you're not loud. You're, you believe, but you don't want to take the label. Please break that down because there's so much there's so much truth there and and that and and I we're so much alike because a lot of my own struggle with um quote-unquote Christianity was that which is why I never I, I don't like to identify myself as a Christian with regards to religion like I don't ever say that I follow a religion I follow Jesus and it's important you know, to make that distinction, because if you're not careful, you will value the religion over Jesus. And the more I've studied the Bible, the more I see and I've learned that Jesus came to disrupt the religion of the day, the culture of the day. So talk to me about when you say, you know, that you were embarrassed, you didn't want to be loud and you didn't want to take the label of Christian, what that and what that means. So, you know, growing up, there, there was this idea that if you were a Christian, you were uptight, right? And I was too cool for school, honey. You know, I was a househead. I was into hip hop. I was in the clubs being very non-Christian, right? And so there was also a sense of... Not but just see, wait, wait, and I don't, I don't want to interrupt you, like, but I have to, because then I'm going to forget the point. Yeah. Um, you know, this idea of what a Christian is supposed to look be and act like. And for those of you who are listening, this is why it's really important to learn the Bible, to learn what Jesus says, because nowhere in the Bible does it say that you can't dance, listen to music, like, you know, and I think that it's the religion of Christianity that imposes these right. archaic ideas around what it means to love God, follow God, worship God. 
right? So, okay, so that you were loved hip hop, you loved house, you was in the clubs, me too, right? That was me. Not yeah. Christian-like based on what society defines, you exactly. know, a good Christian should be. And, and which was also a life of deprivation, right? And I was not those things. So I didn't necessarily feel like there was a place in that for me. And I also didn't feel like I wanted to give up parts of myself. Mm. And and I would and, and also there's a lot of condemnation that comes with mainstream Christianity, right? The condemnation of homosexuality, the condemnation of you know vices or you know just lifestyles, right? Fornication, all of these things that I was doing in my teens, right? Like I was hanging out, doing the thing, you know, with my boyfriends, just doing, you know, I had my child out of wedlock, so right. all of that was happening, and I. Again, it was the dogma of the religion that I kept pressing against. And I was constantly being told that if I didn't behave this way, that quote unquote Christians behaved, right? I wouldn't be saved. God wasn't going to love me. All of these myths, I guess. And so part of my walk has been, well, I'm going to test God and see if that's really true. Mm. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. And I want to get me into some trouble. But but I just want to, you know, like, I, I love that you use the word test right? Because there's a scripture in the Bible and I can't remember it. You know, I, I don't know exactly which one, but it's the one when it comes to tithing, right? And it says like in the Bible, it says, test me in this and see if I don't give you everything that I have, right? Because so often people don't want to tithe. They don't want to give their money because they feel like they don't have enough to give. But God says, test me and see if I don't give you everything that I say I'm going to give you. And so the fact that you said that one, I think is very honest, um, but it also makes space for God to really show up in your life. So what was, what, what has that testing looked like for you? Like when you say that you was testing God, so this is my second go round testing, <laughs> my big, my second big go round, right? Because I didn't believe it the first time. And I was like, you know what, let me try this again. Um, just whether or not he would be present in my life mm. and what would it look like? Right. So like, are you really going to leave me? You know, what will, what, what will the quality of my life be like? Right. Um, will you answer my prayers if I'm not practicing? Right. You know, because these were all the things I was told. Well, he's not going to answer your prayers because you're not being good. You know, whatever that is, that that label of good is another, you know, problematic thing that we have to deal with as Christians. Right. What does it mean to be good? Right. Which, you know, lends itself to not being good enough always. And so and so for this time around, it was like I'm, I'm going to walk away from basically it was, you know, my Bible study. I'm going to walk away from that. I'm going to walk away from doing, checking in with you first, right? I'm going to walk away from putting you first in my life and see whether or not you're going to abandon me, right? You know, and what it resulted in was a fractured relationship. And I thought the fracture was on his part. And I came to realize the fracture was on my part. What an incredible revelation. Yes. Right. And it kind of goes back to what you said in the very beginning of the podcast, or maybe the beginning of the segment, but you was like, you know, we have to draw near to God. Mm -hmm. And it's like the proximity, we have to be close to God so that then we can feel his closeness to us. Yeah, because here's the thing that I learned. He doesn't actually go anywhere. (laughs) Right. Yes. Right. He's always there. Right. It's, it's us that deviate. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's James 4, 8. I had to look it up. Draw close to God and he will draw close to you. Um, yeah. And so that was what I learned uh, in particular was that it was my withdrawal that created the fracture, not his, because he stayed showing up and he stayed answering prayers. And how did he do that for you? Can you like, do, can, do you remember yes. like specific... Oh. So the first time was during the pandemic, right? I had taken a big pay cut. I had taken a job uh, with the city paying like $50,000 a year in New York City, right? I got a master's degree. I've got 20 years in education. I'm getting paid $50,000 a year. I had to leave my father's house where I wasn't paying any rent. Right. 
right? Because of some very toxic relationships. My sister had moved, just things got really ugly. And I was like, how am I gonna pay rent and cover these bills on $50,000 a year in New York City? I never missed a payment, Wow. right? And then my second concern became, how am I gonna eat? You know, like I can't go out, like all these things. And that, the how am I going to eat was one in particular, because I remember that I was craving apples. And I remember saying, God, what I would do for some apples right now. And, you know, how am I going to get food this week? And, and I didn't want to bother anybody. And a neighbor knocked on my door and he had a box of food for me. Oh, my God. He had a box of food for me. He was like, listen, I went to the pantry and um, they were giving out food. And I remembered you. Girl, I'm and, getting chills right now. Yeah, and in the and in the box there was a bag of apples. Wow. Okay. Wow. And I'm, I remember thinking. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about like what keeps coming in my head is like God will provide. Always. God will provide. Like He knew. God knows. God knows what you want. What you're what you're praying for in your heart, even when you don't say it out loud. So, and, and that's just secondary, right? Because the first one was the apartment that I got. I had wanted to return to a complex that I used to live in. And I didn't think that was going to be possible. And I had been trying to get back to this complex for two years. And sure enough, in the middle of this pandemic, the opportunity opened up. So that was the first time he said, Brenda, I got you, right? And then I said, you know, how am I going to cover these expenses? I don't make enough money to cover these expenses. Like, I just do not. I do not. The numbers say what it is. Yo, I was never short. Look at that. I was never short. And then when I was worried about food and I had a particular craving for apples, you know, there was this box with a bag of apples in it. And I just thought to myself, my God, you're so real and you've not abandoned me. I have abandoned you. Wow. So how did you find your way back to your body? <laughs> right. And, you know, and, and, and investing now in your relationship with God, yes. making it a priority again. So I want to say, you know, it's so funny you say God provides. That was my grandmother's staple statement. And it became a joke around the house because it just never failed. God always provided, right? And I have been I have been a Bible student since I was the age of five. My grandmother gave me my first Bible studies. And so I've had a foundation. And that foundation actually saved my life during my teen years because I had a presence of God. Like I could have done worse, but because I had a presence of God, I made different decisions, right? And I carried that with me. And when I had the realization during the pandemic and I was like, wait a minute, you, you, you are the one who has to do the work. I didn't know how I was going to do that work. And I was also ashamed. I want to be really clear about that, right? I felt some shame about the fact that I had behaved so badly mm. towards God. That's and that's still yet. But that's that, that's that Catholic guilt that I think we all live with and that we're taught when we, when we learn about God, right, we, we, we're, we're taught that if you do this or this or this and you follow the rules, you'll be good. But if you do this or this or this, then you're bad, right? And I want to say that it's not even just Catholicism. I didn't grow up, I mean, my, one of my grandmothers was Catholic. The other one was former Pentecostal and then she became a Jehovah's Witness. And then I have a godmother who's been a very strong influence in my life. She's evangelical, like hardcore Pentecostal. So I had a mix of all of these religions in my life. So that condemnation came from everybody. That yeah. came from everybody. It was like, you got some, you got some, and you got some. And I was like, oh my God, I've been terrible. And I had met Teresa during a retreat that we had gone on a few years ago. And, and I saw you, I had been following you and I saw you posting this little God thing. And I was like, yeah, that's not for me. Like I'm still too cool. To school. <laughs> I am not, I am not publicly going to be talking about God. And cause you know, people look at me like, oh, you believe in God. Cause I'm so like, sometimes I can be really direct, really honest. I curse a lot, you know, like a truck driver, you know, I love hip hop. You know, I used to smoke weed when I was a kid. Like I did all the things, you know, um, and so I was like, you know, people gonna look at me sideways talking about, oh, look at you believing in God. But I actually do have, a, I used to have a very strong relationship with him. I used to commune with him. Like I used to say like, don't you commune with God to people? But it was like a secret life. That's why I'd be Peter because it was like my little secret, yeah. right? We do this in secret when we're together. We don't do this in public, okay? Right. But, and I saw y'all doing your little first thing and I was like, yeah, that's nice. Uh, good for them. Um, I'm not doing that. And, and also I also felt like, you know, I'm, I'm hella Bible trained you know, like, you didn't need it. Right. I was like, I know, I know what I have to do. 
Right. Like I know how to be in relationship with God, right? I knew all of those things. But then Teresa sent me an actual invitation. She was like, hey, in my in my DMs. I love hey. That. So we're doing this thing. And I was like, yeah, that's nice. I'm so proud of you. Good for you. Congratulations. Yeah. And 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 then I was like, yeah, that's not for me. Like I've been there, done that. Um, don't want to do that again. And I'm struggling, but I was struggling with God still. Like, even though he showed up, because that's the thing, that's why I feel like Peter, because even though he shows up consistently, I still have the audacity to say, yeah, maybe not, you know? And so I, because she had insisted and because I didn't want to hurt her feelings, I was like, all right, I'll go just for you. You know, you know, I'll go because you're like my, my friend, friend, right? And I have to tell you that there was a significant transformation for me. I, I started going in the second cohort and I remember thinking, oh, this is cute. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is cute. This is nice. You know, they all have their little say. All right. All right. And my daughter was like, mom, you know, what are you doing there? You, you know, you're, you, you're so that's, that's a waste of your time. mom. Like, you know, so much. And I was like, well, you know, maybe what I started to learn, what I learned in the first cohort was it wasn't so much about the context, right? It was for many of the women, but for me, what, what it was, was about the community. Yeah. It was about being in community, which also probably gave birth to the BIPOC teachers lounge, right? The importance of that community. And I felt like I needed to be with other women who were struggling like me, yes. right? And who, and who were looking to understand and be in relationship. Yeah. And so that was what happened in that first core. And I was like, wait a minute, I think they're onto something. And it wasn't so much about like, for me, it wasn't so much about the knowledge and the learning, but it was about being in relationship again, active relationship, actively seeking, actively reading every single week, yeah. being in the word. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. I forgot what it was like to be in the word. And you bring so much to our Bible study. Like, you know, I've said it. I, I love when you speak up, when you share your perspective, because you do have the foundation. You have a strong understanding of the Bible, you know, and I didn't have the foundation, you know, like I grew up Catholic and I always had a relationship with God, but just like you, I'm, you know, I'm a Brooklyn girl. I was for the streets. All I wanted to be was in the streets, you know, clubbing, doing all the things yes. that we technically not supposed to do, but I always had a strong belief in God, you know, and then as I got older, there was like a nudging, right? Like there's something that was happening with me where I felt like, well, I have quote unquote, all the things I've reached every milestone that I've set for myself. I've achieved, you know, a lot. And yet I felt empty. I felt like unfulfilled, like I did, and I didn't know what it was, right? But what happens when we find ourselves between like a rock and a hard place and we don't know which way is up and which way is down? Those of us who have grown up with God, then that's who we turn to. Like when you're at your lowest and there's nowhere else to go, you turn to God. So that was what was starting to happen for me. Um, and, you know, the whole Bible study thing was a literal, like when they say, you you know, you get a calling, like I literally got a phone call <laughs> from someone in my church that I didn't even personally know. I did not know this woman, but I had attended like one of these connect groups at my church and it was virtual because it was a pandemic um, and it was with my pastor. And I was like, well, this is cute. Like you like, I just wanted to be in community with women or whatever. Um, and then when that ended, one of the other women that was in the group with me, she was like, uh, she used to serve at the church. So one of the things I know my church does is that during those groups, they're looking for other quote unquote, like leaders who could step into, you know, um, uh, leading a group of their own. So I guess that was what it was. You know, I'm very I'm vocal. I have no problem like sharing my thoughts. And so I was the same way in the group. So she calls me. And I remember it was like a Saturday or a Sunday because we had just finished doing grocery shopping and I'm in my kitchen, like unpacking the groceries and my cell phone rings. And it's like a strange number that I don't ever answer. Cause I don't answer numbers that are not like, if I don't know the number, you go in a voicemail. Yo, but something was like, just answer the phone. Right. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, with attitude. Cause I'm thinking it's like, you know, it's a <laughs> 
hello, real Brooklyn and nasty. She was like, hi, is this Nancy? And I was like, yes, who's this? And she's like, oh, this is Aisha from Trinity Church. And then so then I was like, oh, hi, Aisha. <laughs> and she then proceeds to like tell me, oh, we should do um, a connect group together, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no way. Because what happens, right, is that imposter syndrome kicks in. I was like, there's no way I could lead any type of Bible study group. Like, I don't even know the Bible. Like, I, like during the pandemic, I had started studying it for myself because I wanted to, my personal relationship with God. But it was like nothing I felt qualified right. to teach or to lead. Um, but I prayed on it. I prayed on it because it was like at that moment, like I already had a desire to do more. I didn't know what it was. So I felt like it was God nudging me, but then mm -hmm. also providing me with a partner who was very well versed yeah. in it that I could lean on right. in that season. And she, and I love Aisha. I will forever be grateful to her for making the phone call because it really like just jump started something new for me. So we did cohort one and then it ended and like, she didn't want to do it anymore because it's a lot. It takes a lot of work. And she mm -hmm. was, you know, she's a teacher also. So imagine she was, it was the pandemic and she still had to teach like virtually and all of that. So I was like, all right, um, I want to keep doing this though. And then I, you know, I reached out to Teresa because she was just so uh, passionate about it. Like there's no other word that she was so passionate. She didn't want to do it either because <laughs> she felt unqualified. I was like, girl, no, you got it. Like we can do it together. And we did it. And I, and, and, you know, and we, and I, I, I'm really intentional about maintaining the integrity of the space because I want people to know that we're all learning together. You know, mm -hmm. like I don't, and I don't think Teresa either, we don't approach it. Like we're experts, like we are not experts at all. We're just providing the space for those of us who want to have a relationship with God can come and we can talk about our struggles together you know, the questions that we might have about the Bible together and just learn. Um, and it's so, and it's grown into something more than I ever even imagined it. And so you have been an incredible asset to us. Thank you. But that's the beauty of it, right? It's that everybody is learning together. And so there's no pressure and there's room for you to not know. And there's room for you to question. And there's also room for you to grapple with do I agree with what this person is saying? Do I agree with what that person is saying? Like, what does this mean for me? And so it gives you an opportunity to really interrogate what you're believing, what you're thinking. And also, like you said, like, the, I don't know if you remember, but that second cohort, like gems and bombs were being dropped as we were unfolding scripture. And I was just like, oh my God, I've never thought about it like that. And it just opens up your perspective and it gives you permission to engage with God in a different way. In a, in a really more meaningful way, because you're actually showing up authentically and saying, listen, I don't know, but I want to understand. I want, I want to really get closer to you yeah. by understanding what it is that you're trying to say to me. And so I want to say a few things that I learned and that I realized while I was in the second and the third cohorts, right? Which is when I was a kid, I used to be real judgmental of like old people who went to church. I used to say, ah, the puerca so after they did all their dirt, now they want to be all godly and whatnot. I'm one of those people now, <laughs> right? So it's like, okay, wait a minute. I, I get what they learned. And so what I'm learning is that every time I tried to test God, I was also trying to do it without him, right? I was saying, I could do this by myself. I'm self-reliant. And in many ways, there's an arrogance in that because what you're saying is I know more than you. And yet you're my creator, right? The, 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 just the, the silliness of that. And so we have two choices. We can either do it easy with God or hard on our own. And I kept choosing hard on my own without any real need. Because I mean, he brought apples to my door. Like I didn't have to go look for them. I, I just had a thought and a need. And he said, here you go, yeah. right? You are my child, no matter what. I see that you're going through things. The other thing is, you know, you spoke about that hunger for spiritual food, right? You had all of the material things, but you were hungry spiritually. And I had lived a life where I had been in, in 
the same hunger, had it satiated, and then experienced this joy uh, because I was in communion with God constantly. And when I put myself to the test, I say I put him, I got that joy back. And what I realized after I was in our group was that I had been wrestling with God. It was what I thought I was doing, but I was really wrestling with myself. And I said, I'm going to do it scared. I kept telling the group, you know, I'm doing these things scared. I'm doing these things scared. And so when the invitation came around, when you said, is anybody interested? And even though you had your two people, I was like, you know, I did want to volunteer because I did want to give back, right? Because that fractured relationship was now on the mend. And it was because I was in this community. And when I couldn't sustain myself in the last cohort, because I was going through some things, the time we'd spent together and the fact that I was getting emails where people were praying for each other, that sustained me. And I said, you know, what better way than to give back? Even if I'm not an expert, even if I don't know all the things, even if I don't know how to lead in this capacity, I just want to be in the space and I want to give back to the space. And we're so grateful um, that you did. I know without a doubt that this cohort is going to be the best cohort that we've done thus far. Specifically because I feel that there's so much value when different inputs are shared, when there's different voices in the mix, right? Like it just, because there's someone that's going to relate to the way that you bring it. That may not, you know, may not necessarily understand it from my perspective or even Teresa's perspective, you know, and just even reading the stuff that you've prepared, like I told, I'm so excited to get into your week because I know that it's going to challenge so many, like how people think about, you know, some of this material that we're going to be reading. And that's really what it's about because it's, it's, it's challenging, like the status quo, it's challenging mm -hmm. what culture tells us we should be thinking right? It's challenging our own internalized beliefs based on our own experiences and really looking to like, well, God, like this is what was happening, right? In that time, and a, a lot of it is still happening in this time. That's and right. how can we, how can we marry those things and how can we approach it with a different lens? So I'm just so excited, you know, and I would, I really hope that when other women see you stepping up, when they see Davina stepping up, when they see Anna, that they then feel empowered themselves to do it. Um, and I don't know if you can attest to this, but I know for me that when you put yourself in the leadership position where you have to come and kind of guide the women, you have a, you approach the Bible study in a much different way. <laughs> A hundred percent. And I was surprised. And, and because, you know, you're right. You know, I have looked over my scriptures several times. I wasn't doing that before when I was just a participant. When I was a participant, I was reading, you know, two days before just to get a sense. And then the day of. Right. And I was just thinking about what I thought. Right. But when I went in to prepare for this week, completely different ballgame. Right. But also the presence of God showed up differently. Yes. Yes. And I was moved and I was like, oh my God, this is, it was also an experience of his presence and his hand guiding the work, right? And it, it just felt really fantastic. But you're right, because I'm thinking, well, I have to ask these questions. What's my goal? How do I want to shift, you know, or, or provoke thought, right? And so it is a completely different experience. And I really do encourage anyone who's just curious, just get curious. Yeah. about it and step into it it does shift uh how you show up yeah and this is what I, like i always say like come for come to one meeting that you don't have to stay if you don't want to you could pop in and out we have many women you know who show up for a couple of weeks and they can't come for whatever other reason then they show up again a few weeks later um but if you feel a nudging if there's like even a faint voice that's like saying man maybe i should do this then give yourself the opportunity, just show up once and, and see, see if it's even for you. And there's no pressure. There's none whatsoever. Mm -hmm. You come, you can participate if you want, and you can just sit and listen. Right. No one's taking attendance. Right. Right. <laughs> it's not school and it's not church. It's just 
you know, a gathering of, of like-minded individuals who really want to grow. So yeah, just even the slightest curiosity, lean into it. Yeah. Well, Brenda, I, um, I'm so thankful that you decided to join me today. We, we went over time, so I apologize. I told you it was going to be 30 minutes and <laughs> we over an hour, but it was just, I knew this was going to happen because I knew that once we started talking, it was going to just go. Um, and I didn't even have many, I didn't write no questions down. Oh my goodness. Conversation. Usually when I interview people, I have, cause I, you know, I, I want to make sure that I have things to talk about, but I was like, no, but Brenda, I know this is just <laughs> You know, I had topics that I knew I wanted to touch on and that was what um, we did. So thank you so much. I'm looking forward to Wednesday, our first oh, study yes. meeting of cohort five. Um, and just thank you for answering the call and for allowing, for making space for God and recognizing that you didn't have to know it all. You just leaned into, you know, the faint voice and then you really let God just move in your life. And so I also want to thank you for listening to the calling and being obedient well, Be because look at us now, like we have this amazing group and it's thriving. So thank yes. you. And I just want to encourage anyone that's listening. You're always going to be afraid to start something new. It's always going to be scary to do something that you've never done before. I can attest to it. Brenda can attest to it, but I think that we have to take ourselves out of it, right? We have to let go of our ego because so much of what keeps us not doing things is our ego because the ego doesn't want to fail. The ego doesn't want to um, appear like they, it doesn't know. Like the, the, our, the ego's job is to protect us and like our feelings at all costs, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that if you're attempting to do something new, pray to God that you release the ego behind it and then just do it afraid because your delay in whatever God is calling you to do is delaying someone else's journey. Whoever you are being assigned to help through your calling, the more you delay in that, the more you're delaying that person in their journey and in their process. And that's true for me. It's true for Brenda with the work that she's doing with the BIPOC Teachers Lounge, we have to be just faithful that God is going to carry us through to the next step. So you take the first step and then trust that once you move, God is going to move. So until next time, thank you so much. You know, trust where God is leading you and remember that you have been created for more. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Women of Faith podcast. If this episode blessed you, consider supporting us by leaving us a rating, giving us a review, writing a comment, and sharing with your network. And if you feel really moved, you can consider making a financial donation to the link in our episode notes. Until next time, I pray that you are blessed that you step boldly into what God is calling you to do and that you never forget that you were created for more. Welcome back to another episode of the Woman of Faith podcast, the podcast for the woman who wants to grow in her faith and build a deeper relationship with God. I am your host, Nancy Ruffin, and I'm so glad to be back for another week. Thank you for joining me. If you are new to the podcast, make sure that you subscribe so that you never miss an episode and so that you're always one of the first to receive the notifications as soon as a new episode drops. We drop new episodes weekly, every Monday. And if you are new here, we are on episode nine of season one. So that means you have some catching up to do. So make sure when you finish listening to this one, you go back and listen to episodes one through nine. So this week in my Women of Faith Bible study, we have been digging deep into the book of Genesis. And this is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It wasn't always 
because it's a hard it's a hard book to to follow especially because it really um details you know the beginning of creation and what happens you know throughout that process and i know that when i first read the book of genesis last year i thought i had a pretty good understanding of it but as i reread it this year in my bible study with a group of 25 other women there have been some incredible new revelations that i've discovered even from the just from the first you know five chapters like we're five chapters in and it's just incredible on how much i missed even in chapter 1 like when we're looking at genesis 1 right and it's the beginning of creation and it kind of outlines everything that god did you know on days 1 through 6 and how intentional and methodical he was like he really thought every single thing out and not only did he think like he was just intentional on how he created things the order in which he created things because let me just turn to my bible real quick and excuse if you hear the ruffling of pages in the background but this is me turning to the bible but if we look at genesis one, even the very first few verses in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So the fact that the very first thing that he created was light because he understood that there had to be a, a separation or an illumination from the darkness because before he created the earth it was just it was formless it was empty and it was dark like that is what this fir- these first three verses tell us And then it continues to go on, like, again, very methodical, very intentional um, about how he created things, the order that he created them in, you know, and with the creation of light and being able to separate the light from the dark, he then created night and day, right? And he called the light day and he called the darkness night. And so he continues to do this all through, you know, the first few chapters of Genesis. And then we get to his last and best creation, right? Which is man. And we know that he created man from the ground, right? From dust. And not only did he do that, but as he created man and everything in it, like after every creation, he was very explicit in saying that it was good, right? Even when we look at, again, verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. He goes on to create man. Verse 27 tells us, so God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him. And so if we know that we are created in the image of God, that in and of itself really speaks volumes of to how God views us, right? And yet we walk around with this idea of not enough, we're not sufficient, that we are lacking, that somehow we're deficient in something, that we're missing something. And when God created man in his image, right, this verse continues to say he created them male and female. And so this idea that there somehow has to, this idea that God somehow has to only be a man is foolish because what the Bible tells us is that 
God has both masculine and feminine energy, both masculine and feminine qualities, and so do we. And yet, we attach ourselves to these um, societal descriptions or roles right, that have been assigned based on gender. And it's based on what society has dictated to us that we should be. So that if you're a man, you should be doing X, Y, and Z. And if you're a woman, you should be doing A, B, and C. And that you can never, um, you know, intertwine the two. And, And I think that we get ourselves so caught up in what society wants us to be that we lose focus of who God created us to be. And we spend so much of our lives trying to conform to the patterns of the world. We trying to mold ourselves to fit certain expectations, to fit certain images. We start to believe the lies of the world instead of believing the truth that God has told us from the very beginning. You know, and then if we kind of fast forward to Genesis chapter three, with this is the, the the chapter that details the fall of man and how the serpent was able to kind of wiggle his way into the Garden of Eden and manipulate Eve into eating from the fruit that God had specifically commanded her not to eat from, right? She was listening to the world, right? To the things of the world instead of listening to God, her creator, God, her father. And because of her and Adam's disobedience, it changed. It fundamentally changed the way God intended this world to be so that as soon as sin entered the world, we were immediately, immediately separated from God, our father. And then we spend so much of our lives, you know, in like separated because we were following the ways of the world and we're trying to conform to a society, you know, that that is being dictated by fellow man and woman instead of getting ourselves in the word of God and re- and trying to reestablish that connection, that bond, and we get so lost in the ways of the world that we can't even see the truth of who God says that we are, of who God created us to be. So for this week, this episode, you know, I've titled it Find Your Way Back, right? And I'm pulling from Beyonce's song um, from the soundtrack, The Lion King. You know, she has this song where she's talking about finding your way back. And it's, you know, when we think about it in relation to the movie, you know, it's um, when, you know, like Simba, you know, a a young little lion, um, you know, is following his father around, right? When he's young and he doesn't know any better. But then the minute that he gets, you know, older and he's able to run around on his own and get himself, you know, into trouble because he wants to, again, like be separated from his father and do his own thing, Uh, He finds himself in trouble, right? But that ultimately he finds his way back to the kingdom, right? And he he claims his position uh, as the throne and as the heir. And so for this week, this is what I want us to start thinking about. um, Because the world will confuse you. And the world will have you chasing after worldly things that will get you disconnected and separated from God, you know, and the truth is that all of us lose our way sometimes. And so when we return from the break, I'm actually going to talk a little bit uh, about the parable of the prodigal son, you know, and how there's so many great lessons in there for us to kind of uh, heed um, as we navigate our own lives and we're trying to find our own way back to God and to our creator, um, you know, and why it's so important for us to get into the word of God and get into scripture so that we can really understand who God says we are, not just understand it, but that we can arm ourselves with the word of God because the world and society is very tempting. 
And if we're not careful, we will lose ourselves trying to fit in and conform into a world that doesn't really care anything about us. So when we come back, we're going to get right into it. Um, but before I break, I just want to play a little bit of the song um, so you can hear a little bit of the lyrics. Daddy's 